Hi, welcome to the Pale Blue Dot. My name is Albert Zhao. I'm a senior reporter here at the Daily Texan. For the past few semesters, I've interviewed numerous faculty here, and they've provided fresh expertise on heavily discussed topics. Well, here at the Pale Blue Dot, we want to welcome you to the office hours you've been avoiding. So please enjoy. I'm here with Cesare Fracassi. I get. And he is a professor of finance, and he was an assistant professor of finance at Wharton School at University of Pennsylvania, and he teaches a graduate level course on financial technology. Uh-huh. And he is here with us today to talk about cryptocurrencies. You've definitely had a neighbor, friend, or someone on social media telling you you're missing out, or you've pulled out too late. So we're here just to have a general conversation about it. Um, it's great to be here. Thank, yeah, thank yeah. you for joining us. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk to us, if, uh, explain this for dummies, uh, yeah. like me, who hear about it. why is cryptocurrency important? And, and, and just a generalized explanation, how does it work? Yeah. So in order to explain how it works, I need to take a step back. Okay. So uh, when you hear about Bitcoin, uh, you always hear that the technology behind Bitcoin is called uh, blockchain. Huh? So w- what a blockchain is, is a distributed ledger. Mm-hmm. Huh? So in order to understand what a distributed ledger is, you have to think about what a ledger is. Okay. So when you think about the ledger, you think about a big book when you write uh, who owns what, what to whom. And uh, for for about three thousand years, ever since uh, you know humans started to actually write something, mm-hmm. we had uh, we had uh, um, centralized ledgers mm-hmm. where there is just one single entity that uh, uh, writes down who wants what and uh, that issues access to whatever system it is, or information, or data, or mm-hmm. money, and so on. Mm-hmm. So now, over the last uh, uh, 10 years, people have started to think about ways to have a decentralized ledger. What it means is that now you don't have anymore a central party, a central entity that uh, regulates uh, the exchange of money, like a bank or a credit card company. Mm -hmm. Uh, So is there a way to design a system that is uh, decentralized, where every single person, every single node in this system basically verifies that uh, the transaction is valid. Hmm. Huh? And why would people be interested in, in decentralizing the ledger? Uh, what I've heard is because you're able to send a currency f- more quickly over, over like tech. But you- so so there, there, there are several ways. There are, there are several advantages, but there are also several disadvantages of having, having a decentralized system. Mm-hmm. So it's always a trade-off. So uh, in a, in a decentralized ledger, uh, the, the, the advantage is mostly safety and security. It's, if you're in a centralized ledger, uh, it's, if you're a hacker, you know where you want to hit. Mm-hmm. You want to hit the central player. So think about uh, you know, the recent hacking at Equifax and so on. Or if, if I, if I want to steal money, I just look at the bank. Okay? Because the bank is, is the central player that actually collects all the money in uh, you know, that are flowing around. Mm. Uh, now, the question is, can you do something that is completely electronic and is completely decentralized? Therefore, if I'm a hacker, it's a lot harder for me to hack because to hack the system because I will have to hack, you know, 51% of the computers all over the world. 
So, so one, one, one thing is uh, always safer. The second is also that uh, if you are in uh, governments, in places where you don't trust the government, then uh, like think about certain countries like, you know, lately like Venezuela that is, you know, printing a lot of money. If you don't trust the government is keeping inflation under control, then having a, a decentralized uh, currency with limited number of uh, coins available that prevents the government to inflate uh, uh, the economy. Yeah, that's so interesting. So you could make the argument that in order to avoid a situation like Venezuela, cryptocurrencies help ensure this accountability absolutely. and but keep it safe from hackers. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Having said that, there are also some disadvantages. Yes. Okay, so we talked about the advantages. The disadvantages is uh, a decentralized system is a lot more expensive than a decentralized system. It's a lot more complex. It's harder to to update. So I don't know if you, if you heard lately about this this uh, um, variety of cryptocurrencies. Right now we have about 1,200 cryptocurrencies. All right? So why do we need 1,200 cryptocurrencies? We can talk about all the differences between all these cryptocurrencies. The idea is every time you want to update or change a system, it's a lot harder to convince 10,000 people Mm -hmm. to all agree on changing the system rather than just one single player that says, okay, well, now we're going to update the system. So one of the disadvantages of a system is that it's, it's much harder to actually evolve and uh, keep it alive. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is, is more costly, because now instead of having just one computer that has all the information you need, now you have a redundancy. You have 10,000 computers that all have the same thing, and they all try to verify transactions at the same time. Mm-hmm. So as an economist, we usually like to think that centralized systems are better than decentralized systems because they are more efficient. Mm-hmm. You just need one copy instead of 10,000 copies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you start thinking about security issues. You start thinking about uh, uh, trust. Mm-hmm. And so one of the incredible innovation of Bitcoin and, and blockchain in general is that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, which is the inventor mm-hmm. of Bitcoin, he was able to design a system where people can exchange money from one person to the other uh, without having any trust on the other party and without having any trust on one single entity like the government or the Federal Reserves that, uh, that issues money, which is conceptually incredible. Mm-hmm. So how do you design a system where people exchange money without them trusting each other. Hmm. Because when you, when, you, when you spend your money, and the money is in electronic, in electronic format, the big question before 2009 was, if I have a, a digital cache, and it's a file, I can always duplicate my file. And so I'm going to spend it on one place and spend the same thing on another place. This is called double spending. Huh? So uh, the question is, how do you d- d- design uh, a cryptocurrency that prevents double spending? Huh? And so Satoshi Nakamoto was the first one who published this article. That who we don't know the, we the don't true know. identity of. We don't know the true identity. Yeah. People the, speculate on, on who the person is. The poor is. Japanese man who got But I, I truly believe this is, a, this is an incredible discovery that I actually I think deserves the Nobel Prize. You know, people started talking about, oh, you know, 
we should give the Nobel Prize of, uh, uh, you know, in economics to Satoshi Nakamoto. We don't know who he is, so it's very hard to actually give them the award. Well, Satoshi, if you're listening, got to come and claim <laughs> that prize. <laughs> Not yet, but I, I'm a strong believer and supporter that he should definitely win the Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. Um, because he uh, created, uh, he didn't create all the single element. So this idea of uh, proof of work, uh, of double spending, and how to solve these issues were, have been floating around for a while. But he was the first one that put all the pieces together into what now is called Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And to, to further like extend the conversation about disadvantages, mm-hmm. what's widely covered in the media is how Bitcoin and just cryptocurrency in general could be used for illicit transactions, could be used to buy things, what they call on a dark web. And it's also become just sort of speculative investments about if not about whether or not you have money that could follow this ideal system but it's more whether you can leave as a millionaire Mm -hmm. or a billionaire so what are your thoughts about just this hype and about its use for um, illegal trading so you 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 raise uh, several couple important points the first one is uh, illegal trading it's true that uh, in the past most uh, people that were using bitcoins were using uh, for illicit transactions, you know, drug trafficking and, and other things. Uh, one of the reasons why they were using it is because um, um, bitcoin is anonymous. It's not completely anonymous. There are ways to actually figure out with certain probability who the person is, uh, but it's for the most part anonymous. And so when you have something anonymous, then, uh, then you attract people that like to be anonymous. And who are these people? Uh, well, you know, uh, people that, <coughs> um, you know, like to keep their identity secret for most likely because they have some illegal activity mm-hmm. going on. Um, that's true. Uh, look, you know, you can build cryptocurrency that are not anonymous. In fact, uh, uh, several uh, national... Uh, um, Several people in in governments around the world are thinking about issuing national cryptocurrencies. Mm. You know that are officially issued by uh, by the government, and in this case, they will not be anonymous. You know because then then I, I can track. You know which uh, governments are. Thinking so there about are several <laughs> there are several uh, uh, countries that are thinking about it. One is Sweden, uh, one is Russia, uh, Singapore is 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 dabbling about it. Uh, not the U.S. The U.S. is obviously a, more, a lot more conservative. The U.S. benefit a lot to be the currency of reserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I will expect uh, the U.S. to be one of the last to actually mm-hmm. implement such a thing because, uh, you know, we benefit a lot from uh, being the, the currency of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for... And so, 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 so you, you raised mm-hmm. two points. One was, uh, uh, yes, it's true, it has been used, but yep. you, you can change that if, if you think it's an important yeah. uh, and the second is um, uh, you know, this hype, okay? This hype has been going up uh, until uh, you know end of December, and it has been actually going down a lot. Uh, Bitcoin lost uh, about seventy percent of its value uh, since uh, since last December. Um, it's true that there is a lot of speculation in the market. Uh, the valuation of many cryptocurrencies are, are are incredibly high. Many people think it is a bubble and it actually has exploded. 
uh, yeah, has right, busted. Right. Uh, but many people still think that it's still overvalued. Mm. Um, a lot of people got rich, and a lot of people got poor because, like you know, the Bitcoin is a zero-sum game. Okay, if somebody becomes rich, it means that somebody else is giving them the money. Uh, so uh, many people believe that this this market is is about uh, the greatest fool theory. Okay, so I can buy something that maybe doesn't have a lot of value. The only reason why I'm buying it is because I actually can sell it to somebody that's uh, is the greater fool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side, there are a lot of people that actually believe that technology is incredibly important and is going to be used in the future. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I will say there is a mix of speculation of people that want to get rich fast, uh, but I also believe that there are a lot of people that believe that. Uh, these uh, cryptocurrencies and this technology is uh, is going to be very very popular in the future. Mm. But the people who are trying to sell it to the greater fool, mm-hmm. it's like a large group of people, including venture capitalists and a person who's in the in uh, in our yeah. class in, in your probably your classroom trading. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. So are they? Are this is not nowhere, nowhere, you yeah. know, nothing different than gambling in a way. Uh, okay. You know, when you gamble, you just you know uh, play the roulette and you put a num- you know bet on a number, and uh, if you win, you win thirty, you know, thirty six times the mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, what you put in. Um, so it's re- true that mm-hmm. it's true that uh, lately over the last year the SEC has been uh, uh, cracking down on this. You know, they they you know. Um, Every time there is a new, a new innovation, um, I, I think the best approach is to not crack down immediately, mm. to see how it's evolving. Uh, this is called the wait and see approach of regulation. Uh, and so the SEC has been looking at the market for a while, uh, up until last year. And then last year they started to really issue very, very strong guidelines uh, mm. on, uh, on, on this. They, they started realizing that things were escalating too much. They were the hype was becoming too 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 high, and uh, and so if you see the le- the latest uh, action of the SEC, they've been uh, enforcing a lot more uh, the regulation on uh, on ICO initial coin offerings. Mm. Uh, the idea is look, you know, these are investments. Okay, like any other investment, we want to protect people, like uh, my 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 students that are there trying to gamble, and and maybe uh, they are going to actually lose all their money. Mm. And so, uh, many people believe that the role of the government is protect people uh, from uh, uh, losing all their money in uh, investment that might be a scam. Hmm. Essentially, from just what I've understood, the Security Exchange Commission mm-hmm. was doing was they they were looking into it. And they also t- were t- warning everyone that if you do invest in cryptocurrencies, the federal government isn't going to come help you. So are they yeah. actually con- are they actually concerned for people who are investing in Absolutely. crypto? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Not only did they say, we're not going to come and rescue you if you lose your money, but they're also saying, uh, if you are an issuer of these tokens, this, this, uh, these coins, uh, you have to follow regulation. Mm-hmm. So if you want to issue securities as a normal business, then you have to follow certain regulations. Mm. And so far, people in the Bitcoin and ICO community, they have not really followed those rules. Mm-hmm. Up until last year, where the SEC started saying, look, if you actually want to issue 
uh, these investment securities mm-hmm. uh, than investment contracts. Mm-hmm. Then you have to actually follow the rules. Great. And then let's talk about other countries who are having their own <coughs> reaction to it. Uh, China has banned, banned. cryptocurrency. Yeah. And India and South Korea are sort of just, as you, as you like to say, wait and see regula- mm-hmm. regulations. Yeah. So, so look, let me tell you. What are your thoughts on So th- there, are, there are four different ways you can regulate this. Mm-hmm. One is this wait and see approach that basically says, uh, you know, this is, still, this is still small, it's still young. There is a lot of innovation. I don't want to, you know, shut down everything because it might potentially be very important in terms of innovation. The second is uh, more in, in providing informal guidance. And I believe that that's actually what the SEC is doing right now. It's not like, you know, putting everybody in jail, but it's, uh, it's, it's basically saying, look, this is the guidance. You should actually follow this. And actually they have been actually prosecuting a couple of, uh, um, um, a couple of issuers that have not followed the rule. Uh, the third one is to to create what's called sandboxing. Sandboxing means for, for this specific blockchain cryptocurrency world, here is a set of rules that is different from uh, the regular stock market. Okay, And the last one is to create new rules, so apply the existing rules uh, to, to the system. Mm. Now, you, you cited China. China has been very, very strong in, uh, uh, in cracking down on pretty much everything, mining, uh, in issuing uh, ICOs, and, and, and there is a very strong reason. Uh, China has very strong capital uh, restrictions, so you cannot take money from China and bring it into the U.S. very, very easily. Mm-hmm. And one of the features, one of the most important features of cryptocurrencies is that you can move them around very easily and completely anonymously. Mm-hmm. And so you can see that if you're China and you want to control capital flows, uh, cryptocurrencies are not your friends. That makes so much sense because um, my dad, he lives and works in Shanghai. Uh-huh. And when he wants to convert RMB, which is what he's paid mm-hmm. into US dollars, there's a cap every yeah, day. There's a cap every day. So it's, it's very frustrating. And then he, he knows people who would actually have US dollars just hand cash under their mattress and he'll exchange RMB. Oh, no, he wouldn't. Uh, I don't want to say that. Yeah. But, uh, but he knows people who would. Who would. And, and yeah, that's so interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. And so one of the reasons why China has been cracking down so heavily is because it's threatening their, their economic model of mm. capital control. Mm. Wow. Let's talk about sort of major differences on the popular kinds of cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Mm-hmm. How would you distinguish the two in terms of their function? So Bitcoin was uh, invented in 2009. And uh, uh, it was a very simple, uh, very not sophisticated uh, cryptocurrency. Now, uh, when it became popular in 2001, 2011, 2012, then people started looking really at the code of Bitcoin and they realized that the code was not... Uh, uh, was not rich enough for for new development, for new applications. And so that's where uh, people started to create these new currencies like uh, Ethereum. Ethereum is technically called, it has a Turing complete language, meaning that you can really basically code anything on top of Ethereum. So uh, technically it's called smart contracts. So if you, if you, now, the difference between Ethereum and Bitcoin is the following. With Bitcoin, I can simply transfer the money to you. 
That's it. That's all. That's the only thing I can do with Bitcoin. I have a Bitcoin. I can send it to you. Now with Ethereum, now you can design what's called a smart contracts that says if A, B, C, D, F, and G happen, then we're going to exchange the money. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if uh, uh, you know you come and do certain services for me, and there's somebody that certifies that he actually actually did the work for me then uh, automatically I'm going to move the money to you. Wow. Okay? So now you can see that when you start introducing smart contracts with the cryptocurrency, then you create what are called uh, dApps. Dapps is, means distributed applications. So instead of having it just regular applications, it's an, you know, an app, now you can have it on a blockchain where you basically design your software and people have like pretend uh, games, have written uh, healthcare, co- uh, you know, services. Basically, if, if if you look at all the tokens that have been issued, they are pretty much all over the industries. And the idea is the following: I have a, a, a software code or an app, but embedded in the app, you have a distribution of money or transfer of value that is automatically is automatic. That depends on uh, whether you fulfill certain uh, criteria. Hmm. Okay, so. If you can think about Ethereum, Ethereum is like uh, uh, an uh, an operating system. So while Bitcoin is simply, oh, I'm just moving money from you to from me to you, uh, Ethereum basically is a platform. It's called, and the platform allows you to say, this is the platform, this is the operating system, and then people can write smart contracts or applications. And many of these applications are tokens, are you know ICOs, initial coin offerings. And basically, it's it's a code, it's a software that is uh, sitting on top of Ethereum. So if I, I can write a contract or I can write an app, and I want to move money from uh, the people inside the, my app, then uh, I can use Ethereum. And so I can I can write a code on top of Ethereum, and I use Ethereum to exchange money. Hmm. To, to your earlier point, and I may have misunderstood mm-hmm. um, when you when you when you talked about it, one of the struggles of a cryptocurrency is if you do ch- modify it, you have to make yeah. sure a huge network of people change Correct. it. Does Ethereum have the same struggle? Absolutely, uh, Ethereum is slightly different from uh, uh, Bitcoin. The reason is uh, in Bitcoin you have uh, you don't have a leader. Okay, uh, I mean. Technically, it would be Satoshi Nakamoto, mm-hmm. but no one who know who he is, and so you know there is no leader. In, in Ethereum, uh, there is a, a very small core uh, team of developers. Uh, one of the most important one is uh, uh, Vitalik, it's called, and uh, uh, they, they have a lot of uh, influence. So when Ethereum wants to upgrade and change and, and do something more innovative uh, or, or improve the operating system, uh, because uh, people trust uh, these core developers so much, it's easier to actually change things in Ethereum than in Bitcoin. In Bitcoin, it's very, very distributed, which in a way, this is actually the purpose of it. You know, the purpose is I don't need to trust anyone and... Uh, and uh, but in Ethereum, it's actually less uh, distributed because you have these core developers that are um, that have a lot of influence, mm. which is good in a way if you trust them and they're doing the you know so things like more, more centralized. It, it, it's a little, yeah, I would say it's a little more centralized. A little more centralized. Okay. Yeah. In terms yeah. of influence, not in terms of 
okay. infrastructure. The infrastructure is still very decentralized. Mm. But in terms of uh, influence on, on how to change mm -hmm. and how to evolve this, uh, uh, this currency, this platform, mm -hmm. uh, it's a little, definitely a little bit more centralized. Mm. Now, you yourself haven't invested in a cryptocurrency. No. no. And why is that? And where do you see it going in the future of achieving its potential as a, you know, a currency of the future? So I'm a, I'm a lot more interested in the technology behind cryptocurrencies. In fact, uh, if you actually listen, there is going to be a, a, a conference I'm organizing on April 13th uh, uh, at the McComb School of Business where we're going to have a lot of people from, uh, from the industry talking about uh, blockchain applications for businesses. And uh, um, I'm a lot more interested in the technology and how the technology can be deployed to help uh, businesses to actually improve uh, their performances. Hmm. So uh, everything you'll hear and, 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 and read uh, on, on the website is for the most part about what are called public blockchains or cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. There is a new world that is uh, it's called uh, private blockchains where you don't have miners, but basically the idea is, look, public blockchains like cryptocurrencies don't really work very well for businesses. And so they have developed uh, blockchain applications that are not public, but they're private, that allow businesses to actually use the blockchains uh, uh, for their own good. Hmm. You know, so I don't, but I don't invest for two reasons. One, I want to keep my objectivity. Hmm. Uh, and B, I see that there is a lot of speculation on the market. Hmm. Uh, look, if I could buy Bitcoin at $1, uh, you know, five <laughs> years ago, sure, I would have bought it. Mm -hmm. uh, if I look at the valuations of, uh, of cryptocurrency right now, um, I see a lot of speculation, and uh, I don't want to be the greater fool. Is it going away? Just like um, no, it's going to evolve. Mm. It's not going to go. I mean, it depends on your way. Is Bitcoin going to be here forever? I'm not sure. Is uh, blockchain going to be here forever? Pretty much so. So mm. it's going to evolve. Uh, if you look at uh, if you look at the innovations, technology and innovations in the past. Not the not all the time. The first mover was the one that actually became the the most important technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. Question? Yeah. Sure, yeah. Go ahead. My question is this: the, I I always read these articles, and some of them are about these ICOs. Yeah. Right. And the mo there's two that have really just stuck in my mind. That's all I can think about when crypto comes mm -hmm. up. The first is one called DentaCoin, which uh -huh. is a coin that is designed entirely to exist within like the dentistry industry. Mm -hmm. And then another, and this was one is like really ridiculous mm -hmm. is it's an ICO put forth by the estate of, uh, the late rapper and member of Wu Tang clan. Oh, old dirty bastard. Uh -huh. uh, and there's a coin that is designed entirely for yeah. like buying old dirty bastard memorabilia. Yeah. Now these are rightfully seen as kind of like, I don't know about the Denta coin, but my question is this, there's a lot of these specialized coins, mm -hmm. not so hyper specialized as to be only one tenth of Wu Tang clan yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But what, what is the function of that? And how does that like, why, why do biz or businesses or industries think that's innovative? And then I guess as a follow up, what does that yeah. do to the more serious coin offerings yeah. or the more, 
widespread coin offerings, I yeah. guess. So these, these are great questions. Uh, there are a lot of uh, silly, and some people call them scam, in the, in the ICO world. Uh, people, they want to make money quick. They issue a coin. And uh, there is a lot, so much speculation in the market that people don't buy because they think it has value but they only buy it because they can actually dump it to other people uh, at a higher price. Uh, so the, the two examples you, that, you, uh, that you mentioned, I could actually cite 30 more. Okay? There is the, the coin for uh, marijuana. There is a coin for uh, you know, advertising, and so on, so on, so on, so on. Which ones have your, have the, your favorite names? Uh, I think uh, uh, there is one that is called... Uh, Something like, uh, I think it's Dogecoin, which is a, yeah. is like it basically they basically said this is just a useless coin, totally useless. Okay, and still it it, it was worth like millions of dollars. Yeah, I think their market cap, I think, hit two billion recently. Yeah, two billion. And the the yeah. founder wrote an article and, Same. Was, and yeah, he exactly. divested immediately. <laughs> Correct. And yeah. he's mad. Like he's mad. He's, he's he, mad because he made it to be. It like, was a joke. Yeah, yeah it was he, a joke. Yeah. He made it to parody kind of what he saw as a bubble in the growth Correct. in the market, which Correct. was interesting. Correct. Uh, so there is a lot of, and, and that's also a reason why I'm telling that there is a lot of hype and there is a lot of speculation in this market. Uh, sometimes people argue, look, you know, it's very hard to distinguish the scams from the non-scams, and so I'm going to buy them all. Okay? That's, that's the attitude. Look, if you actually read the white papers, it's not very hard to distinguish which one is a scam, which one is not a scam. Okay? It doesn't take you very long. And so, uh, I, 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 should, among the reputable ICOs, you still don't know which one are going to make it, which one are not. You know, there are, there are at least, for every industry, there are at least five to ten coins that are doing exactly the same thing. So which one is going to survive? I don't know. But it's very easy to, to screen out the, the dodged coin or the dental coin or the wrapper coin. <laughs> So I probably recommend listening to be like Chazair and have a watch how this thing turns out first. Before, oh, yeah, absolutely. Before throwing in, you know, your life savings. <laughs> well, Professor, sorry for Kasi. Thank mm-hmm. you for joining us. Sure, absolutely. This was so informative. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for listening to The Pale Blue Dot. I'm JT Lindsay, the podcast director here at The Texan, and I just couldn't resist getting in on this great conversation. Big thanks to our guest this week, and your host, as always, was Albert Zhao. You can always catch up on campus news at dailytexanonline.com. And be sure to subscribe to Pale Blue Dot and all of our other podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search The Daily Texan. You can follow The Texan on Twitter, at The Daily Texan. Be sure to follow the podcast department, at Texan Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's show, and we'll see you next time. 